Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. Hi guys, I'm JT. Hey, what's up guys? I'm Joey. We are talking about the hardest training session you ever had. So we're going to talk context of jiu-jitsu, but then also uh, the workout realm, because I think there is great value in hard training, but sometimes it can go too far. It can go horribly wrong. It can go really bad and it can be, you know, borderline traumatic. Mm. I definitely have memories of certain sessions which have stayed with me and I can't shake them. Give me nightmares. But it's your measuring stick. So once you've done training it so incredibly hard, things do not seem quite as bad. And for a lot of you out there, you may be early in the journey. So you, you know, you might've got a bit squashed, but you haven't had a session that left you so exhausted. You just couldn't walk off the mat. You just lay there for hours <laughs> someone had to actually pick you up and <laughs> feed you a small amount of sugar so you could become conscious again the reason why i wanted to talk about this guys is there's plenty of people out there who do train hard it doesn't mean they're training well you know it's not necessarily the most effective training right but i think there is value in the hardest session you've ever done and knowing what that is and then maybe learning from that and going well, you know what maybe that was too far and then maybe what, how do we scale that back and make that? What, what do we learn from that experience? Joe. But also, we just want to indulge in hearing some fucked up stories. Oh, about yeah. Let's go there. <laughs> getting flogged, right? <laughs> oh, my That's goodness. really why we're here. That's right. It's, it's story time, children. Man, t- take me there. What was, what was your roughest jujitsu session? Okay. So I think it was July 2012. It was my first long stint in Brazil. And at Alliance in Sao Paulo, they'd just come back from the world's They'd won the team trophy, happy days, but hadn't won as many gold medals. And the training camp- As, <laughs> well, like, like as pre- they wanted to? Or? Well, pr- I think previously, because Fabio Gurgel has this big high expectation, they had previously at one stage had uh, eight or nine black belt world champions right. in, in one, one hit. And whatever it was, it's not like they did poorly, but usually the training camp that they had prior to Worlds was at Cobrinha's gym in uh, West LA. And Cobrinha does just dramatically long sessions that are just the worst. And he had come back. I hadn't gone to Worlds. I just showed up in Sao Paulo to do my six-month stint. He's famous for the huge warm-ups, isn't he? The Capoeira warm-ups and shit. Oh, my God. Just epic hour-and-a-half warm-ups before you even do any jiu-jitsu and you just smoked. Right. So Fabio said, guys, Cobrinha, his guys trained for two and a half hours. We only trained for an hour and a half. And I mean, it's the hardest training. <laughs> like, it's the hardest training I've ever experienced. And now we're just going to tack an hour on. So he said, okay, we're going to roll an extra hour. I was like, what? And he decided that he was going to put in this really hard judo warm-up, which isn't like, okay, jog around, do whatever. It's like, no, get your training partner. Now we're going to set the timer. You have to do as many throws as possible in, I think it was 50 seconds or like it was just inside of a minute. And then you had enough break to reassemble yourself and then your partner does it and you just keep alternating. I can't even remember. Maybe it's eight rounds of this. So it's 16 minutes. And so you don't want to like slow down because he was also doing the drills and he's 
roaring out at everyone, go, go, like, come on. I actually found getting thrown was harder because you're just getting thrown on the ground over and over and over. And it's just zapping your energy. And then you're trying to throw the guy and at no point do you really breathe. And this is like 15, 16 minutes of this and everybody was smoked. And then it's like, all right, now we're doing, this is what we're working on. Now the specific training, which is another half an hour. And then, right, now we're going to do eight-minute rounds. So I think it was meant to be like six, eight-minute rounds and it turned into like 12. Ooh. Like it was just it just extra. Yeah. I was already – and this is the thing you have to be aware of yourselves, guys, when you're training. Where your red line is, like where you, you don't want to blow past your threshold because once you're full of lactate, then you're just – you're deficit. Like you – you're behind. Yeah, and you can't, you can't really come you back. You can't really come back. Yeah. Pretty much everybody was there 15 minutes in. Like <laughs> everybody was so wrecked. Even looking at the champions, these guys who train like twice a day every day, sometimes three times, you, we, everyone's looking around at each other like, oh, no, <laughs> why? So then what was interesting about this training was I actually was able to submit some guys way better than me. I was, you know, I was a purple belt at this stage. My goodness, like I was like, oh, I just tapped a black belt. They were so exhausted because they, they'd taken me for a rest. They just finished Worlds the day before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they're like, oh, this little purple belt guy, I was just to take a rest round. And I was like, no. Nah. I mean, I was just like, I'm trying to prove I'm tough. And I got so gassed. I wrote, there's a guy called Laurie, Laurie basically, who used to be an Olympic lifter and is known to be the strongest guy in the entire gym. He's like a 140 kilo guy. He always rolls really Soft. 140 kegs? 140 kegs. Jesus. Six foot three, six foot four. Wide. So bigger than me. <laughs> Marginally. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and known to just be the, the strongest guy. So if he turns it on, you can't do any. No one can do anything to that guy. No one can move him. This is a guy who can clean and jerk like almost 180 kilos, like 200 kilos. He's one of the strongest guys ever in Brazil. I rolled with him and he decided, no, nah, I'm going to mess you up. And that was my fourth round. And I gave it absolutely everything and he crushed the life out of me. And after that roll, I had no energy at all. That was four rounds in. Ooh. And so then it was just survival mode. Like you guys might have experienced this at a grading, uh, maybe at a comp where you're so gassed and they're like, you're up now. And you can barely stand up off the ground. I could barely get to my hands and knees and Fabio's going, come on guys, change, change, let's go. And then, you know, you're rolling with fucking Bernardo Faria or something and it's just like just absolutely – it's like when you see an orca grab a seal pup in a David Attenborough documentary and just ragdoll it and thrash it around and limbs are falling off and blood's going everywhere. They cut those bits out of the Attenborough one. you gotta, they, you got to go – softened it. Yeah, you got to go dark web to find the real, <laughs> the real shit. But it's like, man, that's how I felt. And that's pretty much what happened to me for over an hour. I was exhausted in the first 40 minutes – and then for the next kind of hour, hour and a half, it was the most brutal thing I've ever experienced. But in saying that, I looked around the room and everyone else was the same. Right. Like even really fit, strong, great guys, champions were destroyed by this session. And I think the sadistic side of Fabio was satisfied that, okay, you guys have worked. Job done. He didn't even make everybody stand up and shake hands. <laughs> Just everyone like, just yeah at the end of class, off the mat. Know, yeah, yeah just just like just five me back to your car yeah just, home. <laughs> because usually it's like all right everyone stand up fix your geese but no nah, it was carnage and Fabio looked around like good <laughs> you know <laughs> it is done Jocko good and then just kind of left everyone to die and I I remember just lying on the mat for maybe half an hour I couldn't move at all and I I couldn't train the next day I was so sore 
and so tired. I think maybe almost two days to come back from that session. Wow. I just thought to myself, what was the fucking point of that other than make the boss happy? Yeah. I can't say there was any other than that was some mental fortitude and that just wrecked me. And so that is the bar in terms of the hardest jujitsu session I've ever done. But it's – That's for, fucking rough. For what? For what? Like – because there's value in that, isn't there, for the mental fortitude piece to yes. be like I can take myself to this place and I can stay on this perimeter of my ability, which is that survival mode that you spoke about after the fourth round where it's like I got another hour of this or whatever, 40 minutes, just not dying. That's, mm. It's a really powerful place to be able to, to hang out and know that you can do it. Yep. I think the mistake, and I, I think this for, for coaches in particular, is when they think that, when they mistake that type of training and think that that type of training is good for physical development. Right. Like, no, that is good for mental development. Sure. That is bad for physical development. That's terrible. Like that is because you got to take two days off. Yeah. Or maybe you come back the next day, but you're training like a fucking- The quality's down. Yeah, like it's a shocker. So this idea of like going a thousand percent, like, well, if we just do this every time- we're going to be a thousand percent better, yeah. like you know, whatever next week. It's like no, it doesn't work. You're going to like be that. a thousand percent more injured. That's right. What it's going to be? How about yourself, Joe? Was there any particular training for you? It wouldn't have to be necessarily a whole session, but anything that stands out where you're like, man, that was terrible. You know, like really, really interesting. Like so, thinking about this today, and no, I've never had a session like that. Right. I've never had a session that was that I I can remember being that tough. I can look back at many sessions certain parts of the sessions where we just got absolutely flogged. Like say the first gym that I trained at Roots, you might catch Paulo on a bad day and he's Oof. in a bad mood yeah. and it would be thousands of push-ups, thousands of sit-ups, oh, yeah. thousands of jump squats and, you know, and like to the point where like no one can do anything. Pure exhaustion. You know, and, and, but, but it, you know, but it would usually be that and then he'd storm out of the gym and class would be over. Right, like he's, you know, like no jujitsu was taught that. Day. He would do the, he'd do the one. I remember him doing the one where it was like, all right, guys, like he'd have the shit. Someone would say something stupid, like stupid question, and then you go, okay, you fucking idiots. Um, I don't know if he'd actually say that. I can't even remember, but it'd be like we're doing ten sets of a hundred push-ups, and it'd be like <sighs> if anyone in the room stops before we get to a hundred, we start again. What? And it's like, and like, so you're like, oh, we start these push ups, and you're like, oh man, 25 is getting pretty tough. And then you're like, man, I'm pretty fit, but I'm like kind of starting to gas out at like oh, 40. Fit, yeah. And you're looking at other people, like, you know, there might be like some, some 60 kilo girl that's just come for her first class. Yeah. Or, you know, really some out of some shape like, guy. yeah, out of shape guy with three kids who's like just wants to get fit. It's like, they're not getting past 10 push ups. No, <laughs> you know? no. So you're like, and there's like, we start again. And it's like, so that's how you would end up accumulating these thousands of reps. But, you know, interestingly, I look back at some of the most hectic training sessions I've had and I think that a lot of them were in my 20s where I was just oblivious. Like I could just keep going. You could tolerate it. I could tolerate it. And I was not aware enough of like some like someone putting the smash on me. I was just rolling. Right. And getting my ass kicked, but I'm like, oh, I'm just rolling, you know. Right. So interesting contrast to now where I'm older. Sure. I need more sleep. Sure. I'm much more aware of how my body's feeling. And I can look back at some of the sessions I've had at Alliance. Yeah. Some of those ones where Adam, who obviously has experienced that level of trauma, gets this <laughs> fucking this evil streak from Fabio, right? Yeah. You know, that was that's his coach. And Ads is just like, 
hey, I'm going to make tonight's session hell. But, you know, and because I'm aware of it and because I'm now longer, I'm not the 25-year-old blue belt. Sure. I'm the 38-year-old black belt. Um, but the, the gym's got a bunch of 25-year-old blue belts. Of course. I'm like, fuck me. Like, I can feel this. And I do better, right? Sure. Like, because I got superior jiu-jitsu. Of course. But I, from a physical perspective, I'm like, man, this is fucked. Like, I'm feeling this. So hard. Yeah, and that is just, just interesting in contrast. And I think there's – there's a lot to, like we were saying before, there's a lot to the mental fortitude, but not necessarily much to the physical development thing. Because if there's anything we've learned, less but better, right? Like the quality, the quality piece is totally, if any of you out there, if you've seen any of the CrossFit fail videos where people are just doing the most garbage reps a million times, and you just know that that's not how it's done. Same way martial arts, you know, as much as, you know, the Bruce Lee thing, don't worry about the guy who has a thousand techniques, worry about the one guy who's practiced the same technique a thousand times, provided the reps are good. Now, I, I was going to say, in reference to what you're saying with Polo being in a mood, uh, Peter Debeen, now Pete is an eccentric guy, but before comp class, our warm-ups would be mental like that. But he would just go, all right, girls, 500 squats. And that, just that, that's the warm-up. But it was, a, it was mental toughness. But Pete, through somehow, like through no understanding of science or anything else, he's like, nah, because I'd asked him about it. Nah, you know, once you've done something enough, you get better. Like once you've done 500 squats, you're never worse at them. I was like, uh, unless you injure yourself. Yeah, unless <laughs> like, you got a shit squat. Yeah, but he, no, but he was at the, like pull-ups. He was of the opinion like, nah, if you do a thousand, like you're never going to be shit at them, are you? I was like, well, you could develop tendonitis in your elbow <laughs> and then maybe you can't do any. But he, it didn't occur to him. That's well, not Yeah, there's an oversimplification there that, you know, in some instances works, doesn't it? Maybe. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. Um, I remember chatting with Emmett Lewis, yes. who's a you know, great strength coach, great mobility coach, and he made the point that if you take uh, an elite athlete, so someone who has the mental capacity to work really hard consistently on something that's not particularly fun, mm-hmm. And they have the genetic gifts to be good at whatever that thing is that they're playing. He said, if you put them in a room and say, here's the weights and shit, come out in six months and break a record. He said, they're probably going to break a record. Yeah. The method they use to get there doesn't really matter. Right. Right. So in a sense, talking to this idea of just, if you can do a thousand, it's like, okay, maybe for like half a percent of the population. Yeah. That will be what it takes to right, to take that person and push them to the top. Sure. But for the masses, yeah, it's, it's a really poor approach. I think Pete's method was let's just tire the hell out of these guys. Now roll. Roll tired. Yeah. Roll as hard as you Because that's can. when you rely on your jiu-jitsu. That's when you, yeah, because you don't have strengths. Which, again, looks great on paper. Sure. Sounds really cool. But it's sloppy, messy It's fucking training. bullshit. If you guys have ever seen the old ADCCs where they used to have no time limit, or if you've ever watched any no time limit match where it's going into 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, it's sloppy, it's messy. Right, I remember Joel Costello getting into the fourth overtime at the first subversion. Oh, really? In a no-gi match, he fought. So it was the fourth overtime, so they were 40 minutes in. Was that, was that with Ruik? No, it was prior to that. Okay. And it was, um, it was a guy from uh, Sydney West Martial Arts, okay. whose name I can't remember. And I would say that Joel, Joel's a better jiu-jitsu player than this guy. Yeah. But it literally became like, who has the energy? And the guy just managed to – I think Joel had him in his guard and everyone – like. 
Joel's fucking fatigued. He didn't know that they were doing this overtime thing, and they're just like, "Oh well, no one submitted. All right, another overtime round." They just kept keep going, going, and my they're God. like, "We got to go again." They're like, "At you get," and uh, the guy just like crawled through his guard, mounted him, snuck on a guillotine. Like Joel just basically flopped there and was like, "Just end it, <laughs> finish me, <laughs> yeah. kill me." And the crowd was Do like, it. "Please end it." Like this yeah. fucking sucks. This, this isn't. We're not seeing the the best from you guys. This is not great jujitsu. Um, but yeah, people. But the old school guys love that, don't they? Where it's like, yeah, we tire you out, and then your true jujitsu can shine. And look, in truth, guys, when you are exhausted, you, you have no strength. So yeah, you, at a base level, you have to fall back on your technique. But your technique executed at at at, at borderline exhaustion is never that good either. No. So if you're actually training to get better, this is not the method. Yes, it will make you mentally tough. Yes, you're going to dig deep within yourself, but I don't. I don't think that that's necessarily the way. Well, just on that, there's a. I think there's a misconception in that oversimplification of the way the jujitsu works that technique and strength are two separate entities. Right. And it's like, of course, you don't want to use 100% strength all the time mm. at the expense of technique either. Yes. You want to be focusing on technique, but technique must be backed up with force. Yes. Like there is a structural integrity required for the technique to work. Yes, that's right. So you need muscular energy, muscular force production in order to execute a technique. Yes. So it's like, well, if you take all of your strength away, you have technique. No, it doesn't work like that. There's they, no they technique. Are, they are connected. Yeah. Like, inex- like they, they stuck together. A hundred percent. And it's just a, a misunderstanding. Well, let's switch gears for a second, Joe, and go hardest workouts – Outside of jiu-jitsu. Take me there. Come on. Come on. i tell you the hardest one I ever did. Please. I went away. Wow. One of the hardest. I went away with an ex-girlfriend. We had like a weekend away staying in some place. Real nice, relaxed type place. I think she was doing some work for them. So it was like on the house. So you, you, you didn't go there for a workout? No, no. I was, you know, I'm just there for a long weekend. I think it might have been in Tasmania or something. And... Um, there was like a little kind of yoga studio thing there. Nice. And they're like, oh, you can use the studio and whatever. And, you know, we hung out there, did some stuff, did a bit of stretching and some shit. And then I was like, I hadn't trained, like I hadn't done anything for quite a few days. And I remember feeling like kind of pent up. Yeah. So I thought, oh, fuck, I remembered a workout that a friend of mine had told me he'd done, which was as many reps as possible in seven minutes of burpees. Whoa. And I was like, seven minutes, that's cool. Short and sweet. Smash it out. I'll just do it. Yeah. Jeez. And so I set myself a target where it's just like, all right, I'll do like whatever it was, 20 reps every minute. That's, so I get a little rest a or something lot. like that. 20 reps a minute? I can't remember. That's the, I can't oh yeah. remember no, how no, many it's all it was. Good, but that's, yeah. Dude, I fucking smoked myself. Oh my God. I ruined the holiday. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't talk after. I was so like, I put, you know when you push so hard in that anaerobic sense? Yeah, and you get the- it, Yeah, and you start to taste like blood. Yeah, like bit, you've got acid coming up in the throat. Yeah, it's, um, if anyone's ever had that where you, you go really hard for a short space of time and you start to taste like the flavor of blood Oof. kind of coming up in your throat. Jesus. It's when you're, apparently it's when your heart is um, pumping blood out at a rate that it's not getting back as fast. And you get some kind of oxida- oxidization or something of, and you it's essentially like hemoglobin that you can you're picking up the scent of, something wow. like that. Like it's a really Whoa. crude, uneducated explanation. But I was like, what the fuck is this? But I couldn't. I was like, I, can't, I couldn't talk, and so I was like, <laughs> I was like smoked. I had a nice bathtub in the place. So I was in the bathtub, but even the next day I was still wrecked. And I'm like, that was seven minutes. That was fucked. Yeah. Wow. That's that's. Oh, look, I've done the I've done most burpees in five minutes, so that's that's like a bit of a 
oh, it's a that's a t- it's a, I've done that basically before. the same shit same but I haven't pushed it in that way right and I think it's those in the same way like a hundred meters is hard but it doesn't cook you five thousand meters you go fast over five k's it's hard four to eight hundred meters hardest hardest. Because it's middle distance, short distance, but you are working at your extreme for as long as possible. And and you're crossing multiple energy systems. Uh, yeah, and you're depleting, hurts. depleting, depleting, depleting. Yeah. And you're just grooting because you, psychologically you know you can get through there, but you may absolutely just tear the handbrake off it and just burn everything out on, on the way there. Um, well, I have a, a slight – counter story to that which is actually an ultra long workout which was a russian military workout so it was myself <laughs> anything Bill. russian when it comes to workouts <laughs> is fucked yeah well it's like so my ifim my old strength coach and mentor was a russian military pt and he told us stories about soldiers dying in training and i was like ah. he's like yeah we just send a letter home saying yep your your husband brother whoever has died uh, in the call of service of the country. This is back in the 80s. It's the Cold War. And anyway, he was like, well, we're going to do one of those workouts today. We're going to do the SAS workout. We're going to do the special. We're going to do the Spetsnaz workout. So he hauled all these kettlebells out to an oval because his house backs onto this oval down in Carnegie, like South Caulfield. So Victoria? We're out, uh, Victoria, yep, down south side. And we, it's this huge oval. And it's empty and we're out there. It was myself, Bill and Teresa and we're all trainers at Fitline. This is small boutique uh, PT studio in the Rialto. Uh, but I got Bill into training with uh, FM. I also got Teresa into it and we all loved it. And he, he used to give us kind of CrossFit-esque, just destroy your soul type workouts. But this workout, I didn't know, goes until you stop. Like it's infinite. Mm. It was a ladders workout. And so every 25 meters, you're doing farmer's walk carry. So you've got two kettlebells each. You might start, you might do double kettlebell swing. And then you walk 25 meters on the pitch. And then you do double kettlebell clean. And then you walk another 25 meters. Double kettlebell press. Then you walk with the kettlebells overhead. And then it, and you're not putting them down the whole no, way? No, you're holding them the whole way. Yeah. And then so you've gone all the way out to 100 meters. And once you've done your four different exercises, you have to then farmer's walk carry them back. That's round one. And then in between, he's got this, this little sequence called a leg screamer. I'm going to do a leg screamer. And it's just like, man, it's like tuck jumps, leg holes, hops, lunges, just to burn your legs out. That's your rest break. <laughs> round two. And now instead of being 10 reps, it's 15 reps. Ah. And you just – Reps just go up. Just go up and you just keep going. And, and we, were, we were out there. We were trying to give it everything we had. Teresa almost dropped a kettlebell on her head. Bill's like going to pass out. We were out there for coming up on two hours. And I said to him, when does this finish? He says, no, no, it's, it's finished when you finish. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm done. Like, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, I'm, I'm done, man. We're, He's like, fine, quit. We, we might get, yeah, pretty much. Just say I want to quit. Just, yeah, You're just like, say. I'm not quitting. Just say I give up. Yeah. You know, and that's the hardest thing. Like, the kettlebells weren't particularly heavy, like 16s or whatever, but it's just so much time. Your nervous system stops functioning as well. Your energy levels are dropping. Your technique is falling off. The chance of injury is actually quite high. Yeah. And this is without someone trying to choke you. So we did kind of crest the two-hour mark-ish, and then Teresa's like, no, I'm done. And then Bill kind of passed out, and I was like, okay, 
and then we, we just couldn't carry the kettlebells back. We just sat there on the park. Like we were just we just sat there and he was like, it's, no, it's okay, it's okay. Took the kettlebells back. He went and made us like some cream cheese um, <laughs> kind of – like not pierogi but like these little – I don't even know how to describe them, like little – not crepes but like pancake rolled up things with cream cheese in them. <laughs> Ultimate Brought, training food. Oh, mate, come back. <laughs> Put some like strawberry jam on it, gave them to us, got us inside. Gave us some tea and stuff and we were <laughs> shivering and fucked up. A little cup of vodka. Oh, mate. <laughs> and then he was like, good, good. And he was kind of like, now you know. Like that's – we never did that workout again, but it, it's like he was like, right, I'm going to take you to a place you haven't been before. And the hardest thing about it, and this is why I respect on another level games like tennis or things that don't have a time limit, that only go as long as it takes for you to beat your opponent. Yeah, it is so hard to deal with. Part of the reason why I love about jiu-jitsu is I've got a clock. I can gauge myself to the clock and my opponent. Yeah. So if there's two minutes left and I know I've got a bit in the tank, turn on the afterburners and I'm going to punish my opponent. Yeah. Or if they're really fresh, I might pace myself until I feel them give or break a little. Then I, you know, I really pour it on. You know, because there is that dynamic. You're balancing the clock and your energy. Yeah. But if there's no time limit and you're like it's there's, there's no endpoint in sight it's obscene right yeah. and i think for me that's another benchmark for how deep can i dig but i couldn't train properly for a week after that yeah i was course. so sore and so exhausted and so depleted i yeah i just couldn't even it, the, the thought of training made me unwell dude makes me remember a workout i did which was probably one of the best workouts I ever did oh, okay and also one of the hardest oh okay and cool. it was it, your story made me remember it and interestingly, Kel was there. Oh, wow. Keller, yeah, Keller, Keller, Keller was there. Sody. Yep. All right. You know that podcast, uh, The Mind Muscle Project? Yes. So those boys ran like a – they ran – they used to have a gym in Marrickville. Cool. And they ran – I think they called it the Fitness Festival or something like that. And it was it was a cool event. They, they got three kind of top guests. Um, they were all from overseas. I think two from the States, one from Canada. And the idea was they would have them on a panel – Right. And the panel would discuss various topics around strength and training and fitness and whatnot. And they would record it all as like a live kind of podcast episode thing with an audience there. And there was engagement and oh, cool. yeah, it was really cool. One of the guys that was on the panel was Julian Pinot. We've, we've talked, yeah, we, 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 you've touched on this before. Yeah. And he created, is it Strong Fit? I think, which was like kind of like an offshoot thing from CrossFit. Okay. But he was all about sandbags. Yes. And he, he popularized sandbag training um, within the CrossFit realm a bit and he has, his, he has some very kind of unique sort of philosophies around breath work and endurance and that kind of thing. Anyway, in the middle of the day, there was a, like, a, like a workout. And so it's like Julian's going to run a workout. So it's like, hey, who wants to do the workout? So a bunch of us like, yeah, we'll do the workout, you know. And the rest of the, the audience were like, oh, we'll just come and watch. Yep. So we, we went out to the car park. We're out there and there's probably about 20 people that are there to do the workout. Oh, yeah. And they're like, hey, guys, you're going to need a sandbag. So everyone run back in the gym, grab a sandbag, bring it back. And so I was kind of lagging a bit. I don't do CrossFit. I wasn't a part of that gym. Most of the people – I knew Keller. Yeah. Right? I'm like, oh, jiu-jitsu guy. Wow, nice to see you. Um, but everyone else there was pretty much like not my people. Sure. So everyone runs in, raid the sandbags. So I sort of – I sort of meander in just after them because I'm not, you know, trying to get, be part of the crowd. And there's like one sandbag left. <laughs> and it was, you know, like medium size. And I'm like, oh, I'll get that sandbag. And I fucking lift this thing. I'm like, fuck me, this is heavy. Must be like, like I, 50 I, I get kilos. It, I get it to my knees. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, 
I try and clean it to my shoulder and I manage to get it there, but I'm like, fuck, this is wobbly. Anyway, I walk it out and someone goes to me, oh, bro, you're the lucky one that got the 80 kilo bag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, all right, what? And I look around and there's like all these jacked CrossFit dudes and shit. They got like 15 kilo bag, 17 kilo bag. I'm like, fuck, I got the short straw here, right? Oh. And so it's like, whatever. It's like, all right, guys, so here's the workout. You pick up the bag with a, essentially a seatbelt. Yep. Uh, like you lock your grip around it and you're going to walk from this end of the car park to this end and you're going to do this for seven minutes and you can't put the bag down. Wow. When you get to each end before you walk back, you perform 10 squats oh. and that's the workout. So it's like, don't put the bag down, keep the bag for seven minutes, do 10 squats at each end. That is so brutal. If you don't, mate, cool. They're like, you are going to struggle and your breath will give out first. And here is how we want you to manage your breath when you hit that point. So they gave us like a little strategy to manage the breath. And then it's like, all right, three, two, one, let's go. <laughs> Fuck me, bro. Dude. I didn't put the bag down. Wow. I didn't put the bag down. Well done. And I think why I spoke to you about it because it, it was mobility that won the day for me. Ah. I could perform the 10 squats easily because yep. my squat, you know, is like Solid. silky and easy. Yep. And like I was probably at a, about a, a peak of my strength at that time. So 80 kilos wasn't a big deal, right? Nice. Like it's still really fucking heavy. Oh, for sure. I would not be able to do that now. Right. But at that time I was like, yeah, okay, I can, I can get this done. But it was the resting position that saved me ah. because I could, they said, don't put the bag down. So I could rest the, the bag on my knees and then I could sit into a deep squat and take that weight and just take it off my arms Nice, and, and let the bag rest on my knees, but the bag's not on the ground. But there were most of the other people there, I was watching them. They couldn't find a comfortable resting position. Uh-huh. So they'd drop it because it's uh-huh. all in the arms. Right. Uh, anyway, it was fucking ruthless, but I was like, man, that was a great workout. Like it was really, I liked the format. Yes. And just the fact that I ended up with this ridiculously heavy bag made it, you know, turned up the intensity. Mate, that's incredible. It was a good I mean, I love playing with sandbags, but I'd probably come at it from the, the strongman element. So I just, I like to use sandbags instead of stones. I, I mean- I've you, seen, what, what's, the, what's the heavy bag that you lift? 120. Bruh. 120, it's Over a your shoulder, right? Yeah. That's fucking wild. Only, only one rep, only one rep. But I mean, that said, I am getting some Atlas stones. <laughs> I think- I think I struggled to, like when we when we last played with them, which was like last year. Yes. To get the eighty kilo bag to my shoulder mm-hmm. these days, I'm like, this is fucking hard. It's very brutal, and it, there's a little bit of tech involved. Like you've got to play with them a bit because they get pretty cumbersome. But guys, if you have experienced brutally hard workouts, you know what we're talking about here. You have had to dig deep in your soul to find what it takes to get it done because it's not a normal level of effort. And we all know that, yes, there is some value in it. But in truth, really, when we're talking about getting better, the, the, the hardest workout is not the best workout. No. Like many people have touched on it. Pavel uses the term grease the groove. Sure. Firas Zahabi talks about uh, never lifting heavier than 70%. Yep. Right, which is what GSP's approach was. And sure. really that's the intelligent approach, like moderate intensity – but something that you can repeat consistently day after day. Yep. This is where you get super duper strong and fit. Yeah, because it enables you to get those cumulative gains. It en- enables you to train continuously for five years. You're not blowing out after 12 months and then you've got an injury and then you never get back there. So, um, And that applies to jiu-jitsu too. Yes. If you're going in and you're 1,000% every night of the week, it's not going to last. It won't last. And you can say right now, ha, I'll prove you wrong. It's like, no, nah, 
Let's see you in 12 months. Yeah. See you in 12 months, homie. So don't, don't get us wrong, guys. We don't wish you bad. For all of you poor harder cats out there, respect. But I know having people who train way more than me have since modified their training. People who were doing six hours, eight hours a day, they're not doing that anymore. They did it up until a point till they tore their meniscus, you know, broke their bone, bulged their disc, and now they've had to modify. You've got to work around. You're all good till you're not. So I, I would want to encourage you guys, if you can, in a very intense session, every now and again is okay, but do not make that your standard for training. We've got a couple of questions that have come through on the voicemail. We do. It's is awesome. it time? It's time. It's time. It's time. First one coming at you. G'day boys, so Shane from Subclub BJJ here. A little while ago, I was chatting with a blue belt who'd recently come across to our gym, and he was saying that at his previous gym, they were taught to only play half guard on one side, and he was surprised to see people training half guard on both sides. From a coaching perspective, what would be the benefits of teaching a technique on one side of the body, and overall, would it help or hinder a student's understanding of the technique? Love the podcast and the program, guys. Keep it up. Sushane, you legend. Yeah, great dude. Thank Subclub you, Subclub BJJ, shout out. Shout out. Sushane, you might have seen him on our YouTube video where we're talking about a common mistake long, with the hip flexor stretch. Yeah, yeah, long lunch pulse. How to, how to turbocharge that thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome guy down in Melbourne. Yep. That's a good question. You can approach this a few ways because Marcelo Garcia quite famously had said, jiu-jitsu is too big to train both sides. Hmm. That was his approach, right? And, and for a long time, he was considered to be one of the greatest. So people were like, oh, that works. But then look at the Mendez brothers, very achieved. They drill on both sides equal amounts. Right. Uh, same thing with the um, Meow brothers. They, they drill both sides equal amounts. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, on that, uh, I had worked with a psychologist who was also a neuroscientist. And he, he had really... It was interesting because he was teaching me how to use my brain to, to try and control my thoughts. It was a very hard thing to do. But he was basically said, if you want to be a better athlete, become ambidextrous. There's this thing called cross-hemispheral transference where you go from the right side of your brain, left side of your brain, and your ability to switch. The greater the delay, the, the more you're going to suck, like the slower you are. If you're really like neuroplasticity, chop, 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 you can go from doing a mathematical problem to solving a something else and doing this and doing that. And he was basically trying to train me to have greater neuroplasticity and, and think quicker. He's like, if you're an athlete, become ambidextrous. It's the single best thing you can do to be a better athlete. You'll be smarter. And that's what he told me. And this guy's never done jujitsu. So off the back of that and paying him a lot of money to learn these ideas, I have always worked on that. But how about yourself, Joe? And that makes sense to me. I would, I would agree with that, that I think on a – on like, like if we look at the science, it is a benefit to do both sides. The practicality of it for someone who's, say, training jiu-jitsu two, three times a week, you know, okay, are you going to be able to develop your, your less adequate side to the degree of your good side? And for you to do that based on how much you're training, what are you sacrificing in order to do so? Yes. You know, I, I, I know I have a favorite side to pass on. I have a favorite side to play my X guard. Like we all have our preferred side. Mm. I'm not personally interested in spending whatever it's going to take to level up my bad side. Instead, I'm going to steer the game towards my good side. Perfect. Weakness. Right? 
try. <laughs> well, no. Maybe, it's true. maybe you've never passed to my good side yet. Ah, uh, it's okay, <laughs> Were you ever like, yeah, but I still pass, so what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't typically. But, but, typically you know, but, it's a, but it's an interesting question just in, in practicality. My advice when I talk to newer students mm. is if you're trying to learn a technique, don't worry about your bad side. Yeah. My advice is learn like learn the technique first. Grasp it on your good side. Get comfortable with it. Make it part of you. Understand it. Once you get to that point, then you can make a choice. Hey, do I want to start to work this on my bad side as well? Sure. Um, because, of course, there's great benefit to it. But the idea of, hey, here's a new technique. I want you to drill it both sides. I think that's too early on in the process of learning to try to, to try and keep it balanced. Yeah, I think from a timing perspective, if you've got limited time to be able to teach somebody a skill, you want them to just repeat it on, on, yeah, just to get that level of proficiency. But that said, if somebody's looking pretty good at a technique, I'm like, oh, you've done that very well. How's that feel? It's pretty easy. Try it on your other side. Almost all the time, people, <laughs> they're, they're a purple belt on their good side and they're a white belt on their, their oh, off yeah. side. And I, I like that in terms of weakness because I do it to everybody. I always try to put my opponent to their offside, whether it's their guard, their pass. I always want them to play where they're less good and it makes them hesitate and I smash them. So that's just me. <laughs> how, do you fi- how do you know what side – how do you find out which side is their bad side? People will always go to their good side. Yeah, right. So then I just don't – I will go, okay, I'm not engaging with you here. We're going to go over here. I like that. That's yeah. the big takeaway from today, folks. Uh, one more question. One more question here. Hey, fellas, Rohan from Cornwall, England. Here, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. So, my question is: You two clearly take your physical well-being extremely seriously. So, with that, do you ever consider actually giving up BJJ because of the inherent risk which comes with training? Love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks. That's an awesome question. Huge question. Brohan. Brohan, my man. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Rohan, but it did sound like Brohan, didn't it? It did sound it? like Brohan. I like Brohan for you, Rohan. I think you should go with that. Yeah, keep it. Um, Cornwall, England. Thanks for, thanks for coming in. Shout Other out. Of Appreciate UK. you guys. Boat, boat. Um, so I would be lying if I said that I don't often consider quitting jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It comes into my head a lot. Yes. And it comes into my head more as I get older and you're like, fuck, this is tough. Fuck, training late at night is hard. Fuck, my body's sore today. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if that ever came into my mind when I was like uh, younger than 30. Sure. So absolutely does cross my mind. Then where my thoughts go is, well, what are the benefits of jiu-jitsu? Yes. And there's so many things that I love about it. You know, the fact that it makes me go to a difficult place physically but also emotionally um, – it does keep me strong. It does keep me learning. It keeps me engaged with the community I really like. Um, I love it. Like it's, it's extremely enjoyable, right? Yes. At least when, when it's a good training session. Yes. Um, it's usually when JT's not there. <laughs> um, but it, you know, so then I weigh up and, and this all happens in a microsecond in my head, but it's like then I weigh it up like, well, what are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? And where I arrive at all the time is that you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Correct. If you... Yes, you will probably experience less physical pain and injuries in your life if you don't play a combat sport and extend that out even further to a contact sport, yeah. right? However, you're still going to get injured. Yeah. Let's extend it another degree and say, you know, I'm just not going to do any fucking sport. 
Nothing. You're going to get hurt. If you sit on the couch all the time, shit's going to break down. You're going to have problems. Yes. So whether you train hard, you train contact, you do combat or not, you're going to cop damage to the body. So then I resign myself to, well, it's going to happen anyway. True. The nature of the injuries might change a little bit, mm. but you're still going to be dealing with shit. I think so. And look, um, Rohan, I think – Rohan. Rohan, I have considered I would just retire from martial arts and do strength sports because you don't have to move. It's easier. Just lift some weights, feel strong, walk around like a behemoth, eat heaps of food. It's actually easy. But the question is, is the easy option the better option? Because there's, you know, there's drawbacks to everything. Uh, saying from Frank Barker, actually, shout out 10th Planet, Melbourne, wear out or rust out? Ah, I like that. We will all decay. Yeah. The, the end is coming, my friends. Every day we live we die another day basically the death is behind us and however you arrive at the end is up to you but if you think this physical ability we have is only fueled from more of it doing less doesn't equal less damage you, you know like yes in the context of jiu-jitsu i, I do agree your and knees will thank you yeah certain things will will yeah. probably work better yeah, definitely. But will your quality of life be better? That's right. And we, we I think we talked about your this. mental for, state. Yeah, there's so much that you sense get from of the achievement. community, self-respect. Uh, you know, like I just don't respect people who don't do jiu-jitsu. I mean, I, mean, I give them human respect. Like you're a human. I respect you. I made you no intentional harm. Um, but if you, try, if you don't train, then I, I just don't – you're not seeking adversity. I think seeking adversity is a quality that we should all cultivate. And it's when you feel like, oh, I don't want to do it. And for whatever reason, whether it's the group, your coach, you know, whatever it is gets you there, the value on the other side of not wanting to do it and doing it anyway is, is courage and self-respect. And the, the best form of respect you can have is self-respect. So when you look in the mirror, you're like, I did something hard today. There's something very valuable in that. So arthritis aside, knee recos aside, I think that the value outweighs the benefit outweighs any cost. Great response. Rohan, Sushen, thank you, for the, uh, thank you for the messages. If you would like to ask us something and have your message featured on the show, go to bulletproofforbjj.com, click podcast, and you can leave us a voicemail right there. We'd love to hear from you. Guys, if you do need any help, oh, the camera's gone off because the battery died. That's cool. If you do need any help with your training, we got you. We have Bulletproof for BJJ program. It's got strength, it's got mobility, and it's got recovery help. And it's followed by thousands of people around the world just like you. Uh, go to our website, bulletproofofbjj.com. You can take a free trial. You can see everything we got there. And you can connect with JT and myself uh, whenever you need it through the Instagram or through the Facebook group. Uh, and we'd love to see you build a body that's better prepared for this game we play. Use the code BJJ Podcast, get 20% off. Oh, yeah, discount, boy. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next week. Thank you, Joe.